when I was in high school, uh, one of my classmates was driving a tractor mowing the ditch. And the ditch was steep, and the tractor rolled, and he was killed. His was the first funeral I ever attended. How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of a world where a 15-year-old is killed in a, in a, a tractor accident? How do we reconcile that with the belief in a loving God? These are questions that are at least as old as the book of Job. The book of Job is the one of the, the, I think, the Bible's most mysterious books. We don't know when it was written or who wrote it exactly. I assume there was a real Job, and his life may have reflected the story in the book of Job. But the book of Job itself is a drama. I like to imagine the, the curtain rising and the, the narrator uh, walks on stage to introduce the story. Long ago in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. And the spotlight shines on Job. Look at him. He's as good as they come. He loves God. He doesn't curse, lie, cheat, or flirt with his neighbor's wife. He gives food to the hungry and clothing to the cold. He's the most respected man in the community. Let's give it up for Job. But Job's a little compulsive sometimes about making sure that God isn't offended. Job has seven sons and three daughters. So cue another spotlight on uh, uh, ten young adults. Beautiful people. Ten times a year, the kids get together to celebrate each other's birthdays. After every birthday party, Job takes ten sheep from his flock, one for each of his kids, and sacrifices the sheep on the altar to God, an ancient way of worship. Why? He wants to protect them from judgment. He fears they might have said, done, or even thought something during that celebration that would offend the Almighty. So he offers these sacrifices to atone for their sins. Job does this because he sees God as primarily punitive. He believed God never lets any sin go unpunished unless atonement is made for that sin. Then one day, during his oldest son's birthday party, a furious storm blows in. The wind howls. The house shakes. I'm wondering, could it have been a tornado? The house comes crashing down, and all ten are killed. And on the stage, the spotlight on those ten young people goes dark. That same day, Job loses all his wealth. Shortly after that, he loses his health. Job is in emotional pain and physical pain, and nobody respects Job anymore. Surely God must be punishing him for something he's done. You know, this is just what Job tried so diligently to avoid. He always lived a God-honoring life. Is this how God treats him? 
He sacrificed a hundred sheep a year so that nothing bad would happen to his kids. Is this how God responds? Job wants to take God to court, sue him for divine malpractice. You ever felt that way? He wishes God would hear his case, reverse his judgment, and make restitution. Have any of you ever read the entire book of Job? Bless you, my children. I mean, it's long, it's redundant. For 36 chapters, Job and his friends argue about, about why this happened and whose fault it is. His friends say, Job, this has to be your fault. God wouldn't have done this to you if you didn't deserve it. And Job says, no way. Just like O.J., he insists he's innocent. And even God says he's innocent. God said that in all the earth, there's nobody better than Job. Then a fourth friend, Elihu, shows up trying to get Job to see the error of his ways. And based on Elihu's speech, uh, I think the staging calls for another great storm. Lightning flashes, thunder crashes, winds swirl, the temperature drops, and rain and hail beat the earth. And out of the storm, the Lord speaks. Yahweh, the God who made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah and all their descendants, Yahweh addresses Job from the whirling wind. Please turn, in with, uh, turn your Bibles with me to Job chapter 40. Uh, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 533. And maybe you came today and you don't even have a Bible you can read at home, then I would just say, take that Pew Bible home. Lots of people have done it and we'll do it again. So, so take it home. It's yours. You can start reading when you get home. Uh, a couple chapters earlier, before chapter 40, uh, the Lord asked Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who measured it? If you're so smart, tell me. Who drew the boundaries of the seed? Job, have you ever given the order for the morning's dawn to begin? Have you ever journeyed to the deepest parts of the ocean? In the starry constellation, are you able to loosen uh, Orion's belt? If Job thinks he knows how to run the world so well, God's asking him, are you qualified for the job? The Lord concludes his first speech in chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. You can follow along. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And after hearing this, Job is ready to give up. He knows he's outmatched. How, how can a mortal win an argument with the Almighty. Now, and let's go to verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. 
But God has more to say. And now we come to what may be the most important part of the book of Job. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? In other words, God's asking Job, do I have to be wrong in order for you to be right? Is that the only way you can see it? What if it's not that simple? Then the Lord asked Job if he's ready to trade places. Okay, Job, what if you were in charge of the universe? Think you could do a better job? It's easy to complain in life, isn't it? Every political challenger complains about the incumbent, but when the challenger takes office, it's not so easy. Every kid has times when they think that mom or dad are totally unfair until they become parents themselves. Every fan complains about the refs, but how well would average Joe do officiating the game? It's easy to complain. Remember that scene in Bruce Almighty when God puts Bruce in charge of answering all the world's prayers? And Bruce decides the easy thing to do is just be to say yes to everybody. Say yes to every prayer. It's a disaster. People end up rioting in the streets. And so part of the message of the book of Job is this. It's easy to, easy to complain, but do you really want God's job? Job thought God should always punish evil and reward good. If he were God, that's what he'd do. But you know, I was thinking about it. Is that really the kind of world you want to live in? Do you want a world where if you take God's name in vain, it burns your tongue? But when you praise God, your breath becomes minty fresh. Huh? Do, you want, do you want a world where the person who flirts with their neighbor's spouse ages 10 years overnight, but the one who stays faithful gets better looking every day? It might sound appealing, but if that's the way God deals with us, what happens to free will? I mean, after a while, we only act the way we've been programmed to act. We're not able to really love God, love our neighbor. Instead, we become lab mice. Avoiding pain, seeking pleasure. Is that the world you want, Job? Let's put you in charge and see what happens. Let's pick it up at verse 11. God says to Job, okay, unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand, Job. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. I remember one time um, I was in Colorado with some high school students and um, I picked a wildflower. I didn't know at that time that it was illegal to pick a wildflower in Colorado. And one of the students there who was kind of antagonistic to Christianity, at least at that time, he barked at me. He said, you broke the law. You're going to hell. And I turned to him and I said, well, I'm glad you're not God. 
And I want to say the same to Job. I'm glad you're not God. It's easy to complain, isn't it? But do you really want God's job? And then in verse 15, uh, you kind of get into the strange passage where God introduces this uh, creature called Behemoth. Uh, what's, what's Behemoth? Behemoth. I don't know how you pronounce it. But anyway, uh, it's, you know, we borrowed that word, haven't we? In English, uh, it means anything that's huge. So that 350-pound uh, lineman, oh, he's a behemoth. That monster truck, it's a behemoth. Some Bible scholars say that the behemoth described in chap Job chapter 40 is a hippopotamus. Maybe. In the next chapter, uh, God introduces another creature, Leviathan, and some say that's a crocodile. But when you read the description, Leviathan seems kind of like a crocodile, but maybe even more like a sea dragon or something. In ancient Middle Eastern literature, uh, these two mythological creatures uh, represent their symbols of chaos. Behemoth represents chaos on land. Leviathan represents chaos on the sea. And God, I think, is telling Job, chaos... What seems like chaos, anyway, is part of my creation. I didn't make the world to be a mechanical system where good always gets immediately rewarded and wrong always gets immediately punished. And yet, even in the chaos, even in the parts of life that don't make sense, I am still a God of justice. And then, God is silent. The sky clears. Job admits, oh, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. The narrator returns to the stage and wraps up the story. He tells us that God uh, told Job's friends, I am angry with you because you have not spoken truth about me as my servant Job has. So the, he's telling the friends, you did not speak truth about me, but Job has. You're thinking, what? Job spoke truth? Well, you see, his friends believed that everything happens for a reason, including all the bad stuff that happened to Job. Job, on the other hand, just flat out complained that he had been treated unfairly. And God says, it was Job who spoke truth. So, here's another message I think is in the book of Job. We speak truth when we stand up for those who suffer, not when we blame them. We speak more truth when we complain about the unfairness of life than if we just accept it. Can you, can you understand that? Central Middle School next door uh, offers English learning classes to refugees. And this summer, uh, because of their working on their building, they asked us if we would have room for those classes uh, he, and have them here on Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And we said, sure. Uh, the class consists of 10 to 12 women uh, they all wear scarves to completely cover their hair. So they're Muslim. 
Uh, some of them are from Syria and some of them are from Afghanistan. Uh, every Tuesday and Thursday evening, their class takes a break at about 7.30, and so I've had a few times to talk with them. And uh, it's just it's kind of a neat thing, you know, to see all these, these women who their heads are all wrapped just kind of sitting and, and chatting there in our, upstairs in our church. And uh, they've been so great to visit with me, too. I don't think they know I'm the pastor. I have no idea. But Anyway, their English isn't conversational yet, but they can speak some and understand some. And anyway, this last Tuesday, uh, I gave all of these uh, refugee moms information, a card with information about our pantry. And the very next night... I'm told that several of them showed up and uh, received some, some food items from our pantry. You know, there are some people in the U.S. that would say, you know, we should send all these Muslim refugees back where they came from. They're, they're a threat to our security. They're a threat to our American way of life. But, you know, I was thinking about it. These women and their families are a lot like Job. A lot like Job. They've been through so many horrors and heartaches and hardships. They've lost family members in the war. They've spent months or even years in refugee camps. And, you know, you can say it's their own fault. I mean, their suffering must have happened for a reason. And why is that our problem? But God says, we speak truth when we stand up for those who suffer. Even when we complain about how unfair their suffering is, instead of when we blame them. So, let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, thank you for giving us permission to complain about the unfairness of life and to know that there's even truth in that. And while we don't always understand it, we, we put our trust in you. We continue to believe that you are a God who is good, a God who is just, a God who is compassionate, a God who's willing to send your own son out of your love for the earth, of love for the people of this world. Lord, Help us to be a little bit more like Job. Even in the times of great loss, we continue to hang on to you. Even if our, we feel like our relationship with you becomes adversarial, at least we're still talking to you. We still have faith in you. And so, Lord, we, we lay before you our confusion, our questions, and yet we want to stay connected to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.